You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. So who's the real president of this country? Is it Joe Manchin or Joe Biden? Madam Vice President. Come on, Charlemagne. I really. Come on. I, it's Joe Biden. I can't no, tell no, no, sometimes. No, 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 no. It's Joe Biden. It's Joe Biden. And don't start talking like a Republican about asking whether or not he's president. Do, it's Joe Biden. Do you think Joe Manchin and, is and a problem? It's Joe, and it's Joe Biden. And it's Joe Biden. And I'm Vice President. And my name is Kamala Harris. And the reality is, because we are in office. We do the things like the child tax credit, which is going to reduce black child poverty by 50% on track to do that. We do things that are about saying that our Department of Justice is going to do these investigations and require that we end chokeholds and have body cameras. It is the work of saying we're going to get lead out of pipes and paint because our babies are suffering because of that. It is the work of saying people who ride public transit deserve the same kind of dignity that anybody else does. So let's improve that system. It is the work of saying that we have got to bring down prescription drug costs because folks who have diabetes should not be dying because they don't have enough money in their pocket. It's about saying black maternal mortality is a real issue that must be treated by everybody, including the White House, as a serious issue. Okay? So let's, I, I hear the frustration, but let's not deny the impact that we've had and agree also that there is a whole lot more work to be done and it is not easy to do but we will not give up and I will not give up. I just want you to know that 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 Madam Vice President, that that Kamala Harris, that's the one I like. That's the one that was putting the pressure on people in Senate hearings. That's the one I'd like to see more often out here in these streets. And welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet. That was Charlemagne the God as he refers to himself which would seem to be dangerous. That would seem to be uh, territory you don't necessarily want to go into, referring to yourself as the god. I don't know what the backstory is on that. Maybe there's more to it. But um, in any event, he was interviewing Vice President Kamala Harris for his show on Comedy Central of all channels. Of course, uh, providing some comedy gold there uh, or maybe the C stands for cringe uh, super cringy to see this manufactured uh, emotional button pushing from the vice president of the United States of America I don't know who that resonates with if anybody but personally I find that display of emotion to be entirely inauthentic and odd and bizarre from the vice president. She gets all upset. She gets angry. She loses her cool. And uh, it feels a lot like a bluff, quite honestly. Uh, Don't you dare ask me that question because I don't have a good answer. And so I'm just going to get upset. I'm going to get frustrated. And why is it that that 
response from her seems so out of step with traditional politics. It does seem to me that there is a irritability to Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, which I, I haven't seen. I, I I don't remember seeing this kind of irritability from anybody. I've seen irritability, but it's so much more calm and cool and under control in previous administrations. Maybe that's just me, but I don't remember Donald Trump as bombastic and exaggerated as he was all the time. I don't remember him getting that way and it coming across as thin-skinned quite like this. There's a, a kind of weakness to being so easily riled up over a question. It, it, you know, to be fair, it's not an authentic and a genuine question. The line of questioning from Charlemagne, the God, <clears throat> however you say it, uh, is designed to provoke. It's designed to get a reaction. You know, who's really the president? Is it Joe Biden or is it Joe Manchin? Well, what kind of a dumb question is that? Particularly when your Twitter post of this segment from the interview says that we need democracy to be protected. Progressive roadblocks like Senator Joe Manchin are a threat to democracy. He is a Democrat, for one thing. For another thing, I think you don't understand what democracy is. Democracy, in your mind is I get the results that I want without any delay. Instant gratification right now, immediately, no holds barred, I get what I want. Well, that's not democracy, actually. What you're describing is despotism. (laughs) You're describing the opposite of democracy. Democracy is if Joe Manchin has an objection and he's able to hold up the process by declining to vote yes, in passage of the legislation that you want to pass or the spending bill that you want to pass. Democracy means that the constituents who voted for Joe Manchin are going to be represented. You can't just steamroll them because you like the proposal by Elizabeth Warren. You like the proposal by Joe Biden. You like the proposal by Kamala Harris. That's not not democracy. It's not democracy to say, I get what I want, and anybody who tries to stop us or any coalition of people, Republicans or moderate Democrats or whoever, uh, is undemocratic. They're villains. Uh, It's not a good look. And I think this is exactly why you're going to have a major upset in the midterms in 2022. And the progressive Democrats have every bit of what's coming to them. Uh, well-earned and overdue. They shouldn't have won in 2020. I'm not convinced that they did win in 2020, uh, but they certainly should lose by a tidal wave in 2022. Only the good Lord knows between now and those midterm elections how things are going to go, what all is going to happen. I'm concerned about the amount of damage that could be done between now and then. But we're not going to be anxious for anything, right? Just like 
Philippians chapter 4 says we're going to present all of our requests with prayer and thanksgiving to the good Lord. The Lord is at hand, and he has a good plan for what it is that's going to happen here. On that topic, though, what I really want to talk about in this episode is a counterbalance to children obey your parents. And I'll back up and I'll preface this by saying that with my wife being on bed rest, as we try to get from here until January 7th, which is when we're at 37 weeks, she's at 37 weeks pregnant. As we try to get from here to 37 weeks pregnant, before Andrew was born, I am imploring my children, our children, to do as much as they can to keep mama off her feet, have her do light duty stuff, have her give you guys instructions on what it is that you can do, if that's meal prep, if that's cleaning up around the house, if that's helping one another, have your mom give you guys instructions and you guys execute. You do the heavy lifting if you can. And anything else besides that, I will engage on. But I need to be careful too. I mean, even the week before the week of Christmas, I worked 50 hours. And the week before that, I worked 60 hours. And I should guess that once we're through the week of Christmas, this coming week is probably going to be a bit slower. I have Friday off because Friday is Christmas Eve. But once we're through the week of Christmas, I should expect we're going to have some busier times. Now, fortunately, the week after Christmas, I start my work from home uh, business. I I start training on my new job as a systems integrator. I'm very, very excited about that. And that will actually be great and even maybe perfect timing because then even though I'm going to be working and I need to be working when I'm home, I'll be home. If Lauren goes into labor, if the kids need a reminder, hey guys, like I need you to not bicker, I need you to help your mom out here, I need you to do your school, I need you to take care of things, I'll be here to hear that and provide an additional layer of accountability. But an important thing we have to remember as parents is that it is not just our children who have a responsibility before God to obey their parents. That is definitely there. And I think in our day and age, a lot of parents forget, even Christian parents forget, that their children are commanded to obey their mother and their father and the Lord for this is right. It's the first command with a promise. It makes it into the top 10, if you will. Top 10 commandments in the Old Testament. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. It's the first commandment with a promise that your days may be long. That's good. That's proper. We should require obedience from our children. We should cultivate obedience in our children because we love them, because there's a lot of ways that they need to be guided and they need to be given instructions and they need to be explained things too. That's our job as parents, as mothers and fathers, to train them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord to show them the way that they should go, to train them up in it when they're young so that when they're older, they don't depart from it. 
But the flip side is where we as parents are commanded by God to not provoke our children to wrath. We are commanded. God commands us because just like we have children, we are God's children and ultimately too, our children are God's children created in his image. God as our father commands us to not provoke our children to wrath. I'm just going to read this for you so that we have the reference and we have the exact wording and so that you know I'm not paraphrasing here. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, verse 4. Fathers in particular, interestingly enough, not mothers, first and foremost. And we'll get into that, why I think that is. I could be mistaken, but I, th- I have a hunch. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't provoke your children. Now, this can't mean, this can't mean that you never tell your children to do or to not do something if they might be upset at your telling them, hey, I want you to eat your broccoli. Well, but I I don't want to. Oh, well, if I tell them they need to do it anyways, then they might get angry. And Ephesians 6.4 says, do not provoke your children to anger. So I'm just going to let it go. I'll, I'll just not tell them that they have to eat their broccoli. Oh no, that that doesn't work. And quite honestly, Vice President Harris, uh, her display of anger would seem to indicate that the way that she was trained up, she was given what she wanted when she showed a flash of anger. If she got angry and stomped her foot and pouted and raised her voice and got accusatory and indignant and all of that, she's got what she wanted. She's grown accustomed to getting what she wants when she gets angry. And what we don't want is either A, to discipline from a position of anger as parents and thereby associate in our children's minds anger on our part with getting what we want because that's a great way of persuading our children that that's how they get what they want. But for another thing, we also don't want to be controlled and manipulated by what our children are going to react like. If right is right and true is true, and you have a responsibility here, then that holds whether you like it or you don't like it. But see, we model that behavior in part by trying to keep ourselves in check and we reinforce that with our children by trying to be circumspect and to not put more strain on them than they can handle 
So actually what this is talking about is you're not going out of your way to upset them just to test them, just to break them, just to break their will. And I hate this. I hate that some very strict parents think that that's the idea. If my child has a mind of their own, has a will of their own, I see my objective as breaking their will. That's how I know that they're obeying me. If they have never any reaction, never any upset, never any thing back to say, they don't, they don't talk back to me, they don't ever question, they don't ever challenge, they don't ever say something contrary to what I wanted them to say, do something contrary to what I wanted them to do. If we overemphasize the responsibility of our children to obey to the exclusion or negligence of Ephesians 6.4, we can get into a very dangerous territory where we actually have reverse psychology going on. Instead of us persuading our child that, hey, this is how it needs to be, we're actually talking them out of it. We're actually convincing them of the opposite. And if what we were telling them to do or what we were telling them was true, that they should believe, really is good and true and honorable, we may be doing some real damage associating unnecessarily those good and true things with the unnecessary conflict that came about because of our harsh words. You know, there's another passage here that bears mentioning, and that is Proverbs 15, 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And this actually is related to why I suspect that Ephesians 6, 4 primarily addresses fathers by virtue of the fact that we as men have more testosterone, we are more risk uh, tolerant for one thing than women are. Boys are more risk tolerant than girls are. Men are more risk tolerant than women are. Boys and men have more testosterone and that in turn means that we are more innately aggressive. And we have to temper that aggression and put it in a positive direction. Don't quench it. Don't destroy it. It's not an enemy, but it has to be pointed in the right direction. My wife, for a good example here, is not likely, it's not that she's incapable of it, but she's not likely to be aggressive with our children like I am. I am much more likely to aggressively engage if my son is being disrespectful. And TikTok and YouTube are just chock full of videos of young men primarily, and this goes back to the whole risk tolerant testosterone masculinity thing, but it's always young men with 
the video recording holding a smartphone out like they're taking a selfie, recording themselves with their dad in the background, mouthing off, saying something really disrespectful to their mother. Dad has his back turned so he can't see that they're recording. He's maybe in the other room. They yell out something disrespectful to their mother just to poke the bear because they know They know that they're poking the bear. They know that they're going to get a reaction out of dad. And without fail, these videos result in the dad having an instant, like immediate, visceral reaction. What did you just say? (laughs) You don't talk to your mother that way. And like once they see that there's a camera there and there's, you know, videoing and hey, this was a setup and all of that, usually like that's, oh, okay, Uh, I see what you did there, okay. But it's all over their face, it's all over their body language, it's all like immediately in their tone of voice, dad is on it. He is aggressively going to engage this threat to the respect of his wife and the mother of his children He's going to eliminate that threat. (laughs) And don't get me wrong. Mothers can be that way as well. But fathers especially have to reckon with this good thing that God put in us. This default aggression, which is great if your child actually is in mortal danger or your wife is in mortal danger. It is good that you are going to spring into action when time is of the essence and every second counts. You don't have 10 minutes to work up the courage and the gumption and think through that. Like, no, you got to engage right now. Somebody bursts through the door trying to rob your house, trying to hurt your family. You, You can't just sit there and have a conversation with yourself about, oh man, on the one hand, on the other hand, what should I do? No, engage. Engage and eliminate the threat and then have a conversation about, did I do the right thing there? Was that right? Was that good? But even better still, on the front end, before you're in those kinds of situations, you think through, okay, if this happens, what is appropriate? What is necessary? Am I capable of doing what I need to do? But when it's your children, when it's your children, You have to be able to temper your inclination towards being aggressive. And you also have to temper that inclination to emphasize Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, to the exclusion of all other considerations. Yes, you want your child to obey right now, but also... Let's think long-term here. What behavior and attitude are you modeling for your children even as you're telling them one thing? And do you want to set up a scenario in which you have to tell your children, do as I say, not as I do? Because what you told them to do is markedly different than what you showed them to do by your own conduct, by your own attitude. A soft answer turns away wrath. 
but a harsh word stirs up anger. My wife, feminine and sweet and kind and gentle and compassionate, she definitely is quick on the draw with a rebuke, a witty comeback when she needs to be. But she is a master of a soft answer that turns away wrath. She's a master of that. For a lot of the same reasons, I would say, for why she's not always a natural when it comes to discipline for our children. She is a master of the soft answer that turns away wrath. And for the same reason, I will send my children, our children, to mama, if it's feasible, when they get hurt, if they need some comforting. I'm not always the most comforting. I might be more naturally suited, more well-endowed when it comes to being protective. Again, somebody breaks in, bursts through the front door trying to rob our house. I am set up better. Just period. I am better prepared biologically, emotionally, mentally to engage that threat and eliminate it and protect my family. Our kid falls off their bike, scrapes their knee, they're crying in the front yard. My wife is better in all ways <laughs> at comforting them and not telling them to just rub some dirt in it and walk it off. But a soft answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. A harsh word, I believe, is very closely related to us trying to engage threats and eliminate them rapidly. And again, I think this is why fathers in particular are called out in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. We perceive disrespect. We perceive disobedience. We perceive a threat not just to our authority as mom and dad, but we perceive a threat to our child's well-being. If you have this bad attitude, if you don't do your chores, if you don't do your homework, if you are disrespectful to those who are in authority over you, if you show a disrespect for your siblings or for other people or fill in the blank, it is going to hurt you, and I want to eliminate that threat to your well-being, to your health and happiness, to the well-being of those around you. But a harsh word born of impatience, born of a desire to immediately, quickly, rapidly eliminate a threat to our child, to our spouse, can stir up anger and frustration. You know, imagine a scenario in which you've only caught half the conversation. All you know is something was said which doesn't sound appropriate or something was done or not done in accordance with the prophecy. <laughs> a mess was, was made, a mess was left, and all you know is this is not how it should be. As a father especially, not to say that 
Mothers can't do this too, but fathers especially. You enter the situation with incomplete information, imperfect knowledge, and very quickly you can find reasons to appreciate what James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes when he says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, for the anger of man does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And you could say, well, hey, you know, anger is a perfectly natural human emotion. Well, yes, that's true. And to some extent, I think anger is just a part of our being created in God's image. God certainly gets angry. We're created in God's image. It's appropriate for us at a certain point to get angry. But even God is not quick to anger. He is slow to anger. In the Old Testament, he's described as having a long nose, which is a very evocative way of saying when you get angry and your face starts turning red, someone with a long nose takes longer to get completely red in the face compared with somebody who has a short nose. Longer nose, it takes longer for the tip of your nose to get red when you get angry. So the Old Testament writers describe God as having a long nose, and it gets translated as slow to anger. God is patient in part because he wants us to turn from our wickedness and our folly. And patience very often can help us to turn away from sin and folly. Now, patience shouldn't turn into a cover for enabling or passivity, but patience in and of itself is not weakness. It's not negligence. Patience is a virtue, and it is a necessary virtue when it comes to parenting. You have to leave something in reserve, and you've got to practice counting if that's what it takes, count in your head, hey, you know what, I'm going to give this a couple of seconds while everybody catches up, and then we're going to discuss it. I'm going to give myself a couple of seconds to think about what's going on. Do I have all the information that I need in order to make an informed assessment, to give informed correction or direction or instruction? What we find in those scenarios is that a soft answer turning away wrath might help us to calm down and think more clearly. It also may help our children to calm down and think more clearly. As I said before, what happens when we have a angry response or we stir up and provoke anger in our children as fathers? We're frustrating them. Well, that causes their fight-or-flight response to kick in. And whether they are emotionally fighting us or fleeing from us, we're no longer on the same team in some measure. We're no longer pulling in the same direction in some measure. We're now at cross purposes. We now have an adversarial relationship. And a lot of that, not all, but a lot of that can be mitigated by avoiding harsh words, avoiding the sharp rebuke when it's not necessary. Sometimes it is necessary, 
sometimes you've got to get attention, but that should be a last resort. And so I find myself last night watching a movie with Lauren and the kiddos, and it was a comedy of errors that we accidentally locked. I accidentally shut and locked us out of Lauren's in my bedroom. And then, of course, being pregnant, she needed to get up and use the restroom, but she couldn't get in there, and she was the one that realized I had just locked the door to our room. So then I had to send one of the boys to go and get a screwdriver so I can open up the room, take the doorknob off completely, open up the room. On top of that, the movie we were watching was not quite the most engaging for the youngest two and even some of the older kiddos. It wasn't maybe their favorite. And so they're a bit distracted and they're talking over the movie and they're talking through the movie. And it was a never-ending parade of commentary and questions. And I'm trying to watch the movie because I found it very interesting. It was The Man Who Invented Christmas, by the way, story of Charles Dickens writing A Christmas Carol. I'd never seen it. It looked interesting. And I think part of it, too, for me was I'm watching this story of a famous author writing a very famous story that we just watched one of several, one of many movie adaptations for earlier this week. And he's trying to come up with the story because they're having money troubles and his wife's pregnant again and they've got this big house that they're trying to renovate. And his father is being very unhelpful, coming in, asking for money and wanting to move in with him and mooch and play off of Dickens's reputation for his own benefit, but not for his son's benefit. And Charles, for his part, keeps trying to work on this novel that he's pressed for time and he needs to get published so that they can bring some money in because his last couple of novels didn't quite do so well. They weren't quite so successful commercially. And so he's frustrated and he's distracted and he keeps getting interrupted. And then lo and behold, I'm watching this and I'm as much as I'm able to take in of the movie, I'm thinking, oh man, like this is so relatable. It's, it, it, it's painful how much I can relate to his having just had a brainwave and he's trying to write it down and he's not even through writing it down when there's a knock on the door or there's a sound down the hallway and the kids just did something or a chandelier fell from the ceiling or his dad just stopped in and wants a cigar from his humidor and how's it going? And no, it's not going as well with you asking me how it's going. And I lost my patience. It was about 8.30 and I had told everybody on the front end, hey, you know, we're starting this movie kind of late and we might not get all the way through it. And I was also mentally prepared a little bit for the possibility that this is just not going to be everybody's cup of tea. The younger ones may not be able to sit through it. And we've got some cookies. We had a couple of plates of cookies that Monica Chavez graciously sent over with the kiddos. And 
So then I keep fielding questions. Hey, Dad, can I have another cookie? How many have you had? Two. Uh, no, that's enough. Two's enough, I think, for tonight. Did you finish your pizza? No, well, I'm full. Okay, you're full, but you want a cookie. Right. Hmm. Trying to watch a movie right now. So at a certain point, I just said, okay, you know what, guys? That's that's it. That's enough. No more movie for tonight. And let's just go ahead and clean up, tidy up, get ready for bed. Let's call it a night. We'll finish this tomorrow. And there was no movement. They all stared at me like so many deer in headlights. And I lost my patience. And I had a harsh word. I think it might have been now. (laughs) The word might have been now. Like, I don't mean eventually. I mean right now. And then everybody sprang into action, got everything put away. And I was kicking myself because I'm thinking, I don't like that I just snapped at everybody like that. Lost my patience. I was harsh. I don't like that. I don't like that Charles Dickens is being so irritable and impatient with his family. And I don't like that I found myself relating to him to a great extent. And I don't like that I just was impatient with my family as I'm relating to him and all of the frustration he's feeling. But I look at how impatient people are and I don't want to feed into that and I don't want to follow that example. And I look at this interchange, exchange, interplay, back and forth between Kamala Harris and Charlemagne, so-called, and how impatient she is, how quickly she loses her cool for everyone to see. It's like, for crying out loud, you're on TV right now. Like this, and, and this is a comedy central program. Like, this is not funny. This is really, really uncomfortable, actually. This is really cringy. And he asked a simple question, and you could have diffused that question gracefully and projected strength but as it is we look really really weak we look really undisciplined you're the heartbeat away from being commander-in-chief of these armed forces president of these united states you can't even command yourself how are you supposed to command anybody else but I watch that and I think to myself how am I doing how am I doing with my patience with my self-discipline how are we doing when there's a delayed reaction to all right guys let's call it for tonight clean up get ready for bed Well, part of how I dealt with it was I cleaned up myself after the initial outburst on my part. I proceeded to tidy up, empty trash cans and vacuum the floor and fold blankets and 
pick things up. Took a few minutes. And then I talked with my wife before we went to sleep, after everybody had gone to bed. And I said, I don't think that was my best moment. And I, I'll very often, and men, you should do this. If you have a wife and children, you should use your wife as a sounding board because you're not always objective about how you look from the outside. And if you're not married, you should find yourself a girl to marry who you're going to be able to trust and be able to ask these kinds of questions to. Hey, did I totally biff it? But I asked my wife, talked about it with her, and we went to bed and went to sleep and woke up this morning and Daniel's up early and he's very in tuned with where people are at emotionally, very much a people person, super kid, so proud of him. I'm so proud of all my children. I really am. I'm a little biased, but I think they're splendid. Sometimes they test my patience, but Daniel being awake, I said, hey, I'd like to talk with you. And last night, that was not my best moment, and I apologize. And of course, him being very mature, 10 years old, going on 30, he forgave me without any hesitation. It's okay, Dad. I forgive you. I'm sorry that we were talking over the movie and you were trying to watch the movie and we should get better at not talking over the movie and hopefully we can finish the movie today. Yeah, I'd like that. That sounds good. But there again too though, I mean, to err is human, as Shakespeare says, to forgive is divine. And I think even in that back and forth, that interplay, that exchange, that's part of what we need to do as fathers in order to help our children to the greatest extent possible obey their parents and the Lord for this is right. That's part of what we have to do in order to help our children to honor their father and their mother that it may go well with them and they may live long in the land. That's part of what we have to do is we have to be more easily honored. We have to be big enough men to where if we step in it and we're not our best selves, we own that. Hey, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the way I just talked to you. Sorry for the way I handled that. Please forgive me. And what that does is it does a couple of things. For one, it builds credibility in our children's minds where we're concerned. For another thing, we are modeling for them the very attitude that we want them to have, that they need to have when they mess up, when they make a mistake. Otherwise, we model just the opposite. When I'm wrong, I find a long line of excuses to justify myself. How it's not my fault, it's actually everybody else's fault, and I did everything correct. I always do everything correct. Everything I do is quite right and proper and good. For the same reasons that that is not acceptable when our children are tempted in that way, we can't be acting like that. But 
if when we make a mistake, we say something that's not quite correct, we do something that's not quite correct, we don't say something that we should have said, we don't do something that we should have done, when it's our bad and we own it, we are modeling for our children what it looks like to take responsibility for our mistakes, for them to take responsibility for their mistakes, to correct it, to make it right, to work through conflict, to restore relationships. You're giving your child an opportunity to forgive even as you are taking the opportunity to apologize. And interestingly enough, what might end up happening is as you're admitting, hey, you know what? I didn't handle that the way that I should have. They might suddenly have a realization that, you know what, dad, I didn't handle that the way I should have either. And if you're trying to make it easier on them to obey you as their parent, you might just find that the feedback loop is that they feel inspired to make it easier for you to be patient. Just some thoughts. I got to run though. That's all for right now. I need another cup of coffee. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.